Amen. What a great way to turn our attention to God's words. We focus upon Jesus and our, our adoration and our, our love for him. And just want to echo what Ben has said already this morning, what I've, I've said frequently. If, if you're getting tired of uh, me saying this a lot over the last month or so, I, I apologize. But I was talking to someone on Friday and there were still, said people were still a little unclear on this. So so here, one, one last time, and then we'll be there. Uh, next week, we are going to be doing uh, one service, bringing our one service model next Sunday. So we'll be all together as a church in this room at 1030. So you're going to be welcoming a couple hundred of your good friends and uh, kind of excited about the opportunity for us all to worship together as the body. And we'll, we'll see, uh, Lord willing, how this goes. You know, we've, we, we pay for all the seats in here. And so uh, we rent, well, we rent them. And so it's ex- I'm excited about getting to use some more of these, these seats. And uh, you may not get to be in the same seat that you are today, but um, encourage you, especially if, if you're a regular attender, and especially, especially if you're a member, kind of move in and, and allow our, our visitors and our um, people who don't know each other as well to kind of use those, those more convenient seats. This is a, a, a a big room, and so hopefully we'll be able to use it all together uh, as we celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ together next week. And then also, two weeks from today, we're beginning our new Sunday school schedule. So next week, no Sunday school, just 1030 service. Not just. Next week, 1030 service. And then uh, two weeks from today, we'll be getting our, our new Sunday school program all the kids will be advancing, uh, the, the younger kids will be advancing, and then there'll be the three adult Sunday school classes. That's kind of a new uh, new way to view our Sunday school ministry there as well. So check that out. All that information's online and in your weekly folder you should have received as you came in. So that's exciting. Go ahead and turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to Galatians 1. Galatians chapter 1. And and let me just kind of remind you where we are in our study of this book, the book of Galatians. Remember, we we saw that the the big idea, the big theme in the book of Galatians is freedom in the true gospel. So the the, the freedom that we find in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the big picture in Galatians. And we said, okay, this this book can kind of be broken down into three parts, chapters 1 and 2, chapters 3 and 4, and chapters 5 and 6. And the the first two chapters talk about the source of the true gospel. Where did this true gospel come from? And Paul tells his story there. And then chapters 2 and 3 talk about the content of the true gospel. What is it that we believe about this true gospel message? And then chapters 4 and 5 talk about living out the freedom of the true gospel. So that's, that's the big picture of Galatians. And right now, we're in chapter 1, talking about the source of the true gospel. And we just looked last week at Paul condemning those who were preaching a false gospel. So verses 6 through 9, Paul says, look, this, if, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. If anyone was if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Okay, so rejecting the false gospel. Now, he's going to be talking about commending to them the true gospel. And in verses 10 and 11 and 12, he's going to be talking kind of about his kind of a thesis statement of this whole section. Here's what I, here's what I mean when I say 
that the gospel came from God. And then in the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's going to be kind of defending that, that thesis statement in these verses. So verses 10 through 12, he's, he's kind of talking about this, this core issue. This is where the gospel comes from. And in verse 10 that we're looking at this morning, he's talking about his ministry and how because this gospel came from God, it affects his motivation, what he's trying to do as he proclaims this true gospel. Now, originally I thought about getting 10 through 12 kind of all together, but as I came to verse 10, I was like, you know what? I think this is a a verse we just need to spend some time on, think through together as a congregation and about how we ourselves need to make sure we're pleasing God and not pleasing people in terms of our ultimate aim. And so that's, we're just going to spend some time uh, meditating and looking at God's word on, on this issue. But if you would, stand with me in honor of God, if you're able to, as we read Galatians 1. And let me go ahead and read verses 10 through 12, kind of give the whole context here. So verse 10 Remember, he's just said, if if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Then he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. May God be honored and glorified through the reading of his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, as we have prayed, as as Dave has already prayed for us, we do ask that you would be gracious to us as we turn our attention uh, to your word. And then indeed, the things that you have ordained for us to know, to learn, to glean from this this passage, we would. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the problem that you and I face. We desire to please people. And you say, well, well Daniel, why is it a problem to want to, to please people? Why is it a problem to have a, your goal be to make people happy? And there's a couple of problems with that. And first, it's, it's impossible. If your goal is to please people, you have placed upon yourself a a goal that is impossible to achieve. In fact, let me just be very very open and just kind of a a frank conversation here as as a church this morning. This this is an issue that I I struggle with. It's an issue I struggle with. I would love, I would love to make everybody happy. That would be great if we could just do that. But it's impossible. So again, just open transparency here. You know, over the, the last four months, We've had about three families who have expressed that they, they may be leaving Bethany Community Church over the issue of uh, Reformed theology or, or Calvinism or the, the doctrine of God's sovereignty. In fact, one, one family, uh, and, and all dear families, uh, great relationships, uh, one family uh, been here for a, a few years, attenders, not members, and, and they emailed and said, look, um, love the church, love you, but... Um, we see that the church believes these things about God's sovereignty and, and salvation and about election and predestination, and that's, that's not where we are, and so we're going to, to need to leave. And it was sad, right? Sad, but it, you know, what, what, it's a, it was good relationally at the same time, and so 
you know, want to you know, pray that God would bless them wherever uh, he directs them to. A second family. Since uh, we get together, we talk. This family's members uh, are members, dear, dear family. They've been uh, members of the church for almost the entire history of the church. And kind of the same deal. Uh, not, not exactly the same deal, but they, as they communicated to, to us, to, to me and to other leaders, they said, you know, um, uh, the church is just in a different place than we are in terms of, of Reformed theology, Calvinism. We see that you guys are kind of into this this new Calvinism thing, and that's that's not where we are. And so I, I shared that with our leaders, and uh, the first thing we all did was Google what is new Calvinism, and uh, you know saw what that was. You know, people like John Piper and Kevin DeYoung are are influential figures in that movement. We thought, yeah, we we are influenced by. By those those speakers and and so we again with this family very sad but at the same time very sweet conversation and and said you know may God bless you wherever He calls you to go and and uh, saw that and then a third family emailed me recently and said look um, we uh, were very reformed Calvinistic and we don't think that you guys are. And so we don't think that this may be a place for us to worship. And uh, I thought, well, well, that's that's interesting, right? I mean, here here are three different reactions. And, and hear me very carefully. We're not talking about uh, three really disgruntled families that don't want to love the Lord. Okay, we're talking about three families that all love the Lord and want to walk in obedience to God, affirm and hold to the gospel, and and. We have good relationships with. And one family says you're too Calvinistic. Another family says you're not Calvinistic enough. A third family says you're you're new Calvinists. What do I do with that? I'll tell you what my temptation is. My my temptation is to want to to change ministry to make people happy, right? You don't like Calvinism? We're We're not that Calvinistic. Come on, stay. You, you want us to be more, like, there's a temptation to want to become someone different, to do different things, because we want to please people. And again, we're not talking about trying to please people who don't want to love the Lord. We're talking about people who, who do love the Lord. And here's the problem. It's, it's impossible. I was talking about this with my friend Ben uh, from Uncle Bob's Homemade Ice Cream, that Ben. Uh, yes. You know, applause. I, I'm not getting paid for this, too, by the way. Um, I'm not getting compensated in terms of money or ice cream uh, as, I, as I share this. But I was talking to Ben uh, about the issue of, of pleasing people, and uh, he, he said, look, Daniel, um, sometimes when we make ice cream and, and put cookies in the ice cream, some people will say There's, there are too many cookies in this ice cream. And sometimes when we make the ice cream, some people will say that there are not enough cookies in this ice cream. You can't please everyone. And I thought, those are some wise, wise words. <laughs> if my friend Ben, whose sole goal in life in terms of his business there is, is he's, he's making beautiful, delicious, tasty, sweet treats from heaven. Uh, <laughs> and you can put that in front of a person and then go, hmm, that's not the way I would like it. What hope do I have? Um, <laughs> I'm not providing on a Sunday morning a delicious, well, 
messages from heaven, debatable. Um, hopefully as we present God's word, we're presenting uh, things from heaven, but, but we're not, I'm not, I'm not giving, there's no ice cream as you leave, okay? If you can't make everyone happy with ice cream, uh, what hope do we have? It's an impossible task. It's impossible to please everyone. But here's, here's the second problem, and it's, it's even bigger. As we make it our goal to pursue pleasing people, we fail in our ultimate goal of pleasing God. In fact, here's the central idea that I want us to, to wrestle with here this morning. Uh, the central thing that I, I want us to see is I cannot please God if my aim in life is to please people. That's, that's the main thing that I want us to think about together this morning. I cannot please God if my aim, if my ultimate goal in life is to please people, it is impossible for me to fulfill what truly should be my goal, which is to please God. So verses 11 and 12 talk about the, the nature of the gospel and uh, the ministry of the gospel, the source of the gospel, rather. And verse 10 kind of helps us understand how, if it's true that this gospel comes from God, if I'm going to be a servant of God as I proclaim the gospel, I can't have as my goal to please other people. So what I want us to do is just to, to think through what that means to, to be a person who's trying to please people or what it looks like to be a person who's trying to please God and why those things are incompatible and why we need to repent of trying to be a person who pleases people and to pursue pleasing God. So let's first of all talk about some characteristics of someone who desires to please people. And look at the text with me if you would. And Let's see what we see here at the beginning of verse 10. Paul says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? What does he mean? What's happened here? Remember what we've seen about the story in the book of Galatians thus far. And we'll deal more with this as we get into Paul's biography here. But Paul went to the area of Galatia, southern Galatia, and we see this in the book of Acts, and we see him going to these different areas and proclaiming the gospel. And so what he would do is he'd come to this area, some of the areas had synagogues, and he'd proclaim the gospel there, and people would begin to respond to the gospel. Paul would preach this message. Look, if you want to come into relationship with God, you need to recognize that you're a sinner, that you're in line of God's wrath, and that God provided his son, Jesus Christ, to take our place on uh, place of receiving the punishment of God. He died on the cross for our sins, and now place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, and you'll be saved. Trust in the, the risen Christ, Jesus. That's all you need to do in terms of of receiving God's righteousness. Trust in his son, Jesus. And people heard that message and they respond to it there. And, and Paul, we see in the missionary journey, he begins to establish these churches. Well, now Paul leaves that region and there are these established churches. And now some new teachers begin to go into these churches and they begin to teach something different. They also say that they're Christians but they say, look, we're, we're Jewish Christians, we're, we're, we're Jewish, Christianity is a sect of Judaism, they're, they're teaching, and so here, what, what you need to know is, look, let's take the scripture that Paul talked with you about, so what we would call the Old Testament, and let's look at this. That's what these teachers are saying as they come into these, these church communities. And they say, look, yeah, the, these scriptures point to the person of Jesus, but there's also some other things that these scriptures say that you need to do. 
These scriptures also say that you need to be circumcised. These scriptures also talk about what you can eat and what you can't eat and what days you need to observe and and the feasts that you need to to be aware of and to be mindful of. And so they they start teaching them all these other things that they need to do in order to continue in their relationship with God. And you can just imagine you're a person there in the area, this new church, and Paul has told you one thing, and now these teachers are coming in and they're telling you some more things. And you can imagine being kind of confused, kind of asking, hey, uh, I have a question. Why didn't Paul mention any of this? If we need to be circumcised, why didn't Paul say that? And these Judaizers, these new teachers say, well, you know, Paul, Paul, he's kind of a people pleaser. He knew you would not like this. And so he didn't tell you about it. He told you the easy stuff, and yes, it's true that Jesus is the Messiah, but we're the truth-tellers, and we're telling you how it really is. We're, we're giving you the full message that you need to know and be aware of. And so Paul comes here, and in verse 6, he starts blasting this new gospel. He says, I, I'm astonished that you've responded to the gospel, this new gospel that these guys are teaching. And then in verses 8 and 9, I mean, it's just this this full-on assault on this false gospel. He says, look, if, if me or an angel from heaven, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed, let him be anathema, let him be eternally condemned. I've said, we've said it before, saying it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And then he says, now does that sound like a people pleaser? Does, that, does me saying anathema, eternal condemnation on the person who preaches a different gospel, does that sound like someone that is all that concerned with people, pleasing people instead of God? Answer, no. And Paul is going to say, look, I, I understand that for me to be a person who's passionate about pleasing people instead of pleasing God means I'm a person who would be undermining the very gospel that I say I'm proclaiming. Because this gospel message doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from any other man. It comes from God. And so I know I need to be faithful to it. And brothers and sisters at Bethany Community Church, we know that we need to be faithful to it as well. And to be a people pleaser means to be a person who is undermining the gospel we say that we're proclaiming. So what I want to do is I want to walk through some of the characteristics of a people pleaser here, a person who desires to please people ultimately instead of ultimately pleasing God, and just asking God to make our hearts aware of where we may be failing in this area. Here's the first characteristic. Number one, they fear consequences and love rewards from other people. Okay? And this is really at the heart of the issue. This is the most foundational aspect of all this. It gets to motivation. A person who desires to please people fears consequences that other people are going to give them, and they crave the rewards. They fear consequences from other people. They crave rewards that people can offer. Jesus, in John chapter 12, has done many signs, and John tells us that the people don't respond in faith. It says in verse 42 of John 12, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but, but, even though they believed what Jesus was saying, it says, For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see what's there? Both of those aspects. 
They fear people. They fear the consequences that other people can can uh, direct toward them, and they crave the rewards that other people can offer. So in this case, they don't desire to be put out of the synagogue. They fear that consequence. Why? Because they love the glory they, they can receive from people more than the glory from God. That's the heart motivation. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem, and again, this is foundational, The problem is that both the consequences that people can direct toward you and the rewards that they can offer for you, both of those things are temporary. That they don't last. John, in John 1, 1 John chapter 2, would, would say this in verse 17, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. They fear consequences, they they crave rewards, and the problem is that both the consequences and the rewards are are temporary. The the things that people can do for you, either negatively or positively, are are temporary. Maybe you heard about the story a few years ago, this this news story of the, the great feather heist. I just uh, recently heard of it. And what happened during this feather heist, there was this young guy about... 20 years old, who really got into fly fishing. And not just fly fishing, but creating the, the flies, the, the lures on a fly fishing pole. Okay? And apparently, the best flies, the, the most valuable flies, are, are flies from the Victorian era. And if you want to be a very accomplished fly tire, you want to recreate, use feathers from birds and recreate Victorian era flies. Now, the problem with that is that to recreate flies from the Victorian era using bird feathers, you need bird feathers from the Victorian era. And sadly, many of the birds that were alive during that era are no longer alive today. So what this young man did is he went to the British Museum of Natural History in Tring uh, with a rock and uh, broke open a window, climbed in, and grabbed 300 birds, uh, these 300 stuffed birds, and I think put them in a bag and, and escaped and, and uh, began to fly his, 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 to tie his flies. I don't know if that's the right expression, but that's what he did, okay? Now, here's the funny thing. Now, obviously, they realized, the museum realized that they had been broken into, but it took them a month to realize what someone had stolen. Do you know Why? Because a bunch of 300 extinct birds aren't really that valuable. I mean, they put a price, they were worth a million dollars, but, but really? Um, now, I'm not advocating making birds go extinct. I'm not advocating stealing things from museums. I understand there's value to that, but, but man, it's just a bunch of bird feathers, right? In fact, there's... <laughs> Sorry. They're still trying to recover all the feathers. They're, they're, they're trying to calculate how many feathers were on each bird, how many did we get back. Um, I don't know. Oftentimes, you and I are, fa- are, are, are chasing a bunch of feathers. Okay? We're motivated by feathers, by, by things that aren't really ultimately all that valuable. A person who's a people pleaser is focused on the rewards, the consequences that other people give to them. Secondly, they focus on their outward appearance instead of the condition of their heart. 
They focus on their outward appearance instead of the condition of their heart. Because their motivation is reward and, and fearing consequences, they, they're, they're motivated by a desire to look good. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness be, before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. And he gives several examples of people who are concerned about looking righteous, looking good. He talks about the person who, who gives to the needy and wants everyone to see them do that. Uh, the person who prays out in the open where everyone can see. The person who fasts in such a way that everyone knows that they're fasting. He says, man, watch out for this because the person who is a people pleaser is very much attuned to, do other people look at me and do they see someone who is righteous instead of asking themselves hard questions about the condition of their heart, am I actually indeed righteous? A person who's a people pleaser is going to be motivated to do the things they do with the purpose of looking good. I want other people to look at me and, and see that I'm a, I'm a dad who has it all together. I'm a friend who is always there for them. I, I want people to look at me and see that I'm a good person versus actually asking ourselves, am I a good friend? Am I a good father? Am I a good employee? A people pleaser makes decisions about what they're going to do, what emails they're going to answer, what phone calls they're going to make, what ministries they're going to be involved in, how they're going to treat their children very much on the basis of how are other people going to look at me and perceive me. They're focused on their outward appearance instead of the condition of their heart. Instead of asking how do I really look, they're taking their cell phone and, and creating these, these filters and these Instagram posts of, of themselves without asking, who am I in my heart? But God looks at us with no filters, right? Number three, they deny Christ. They deny Christ, or at least they confess him reluctantly, a people pleaser. John chapter 5, Jesus would say, look, I've, I've come in my Father's name. You don't receive me. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? In other words, he's saying, you you don't believe me. You haven't trusted in me because you want the glory that one another are going to give you instead of the glory that comes from me. Paul would tell Timothy, look, Demas, Demas loved the present world and so he's abandoned me, ultimately abandoning Christ. A fourth characteristic of a, a people pleaser, just kind of not touching on all of the, every characteristic possible, but another one that we, we see in Scripture. They avoid confrontation. A person who wants, as their ultimate goal, to please other people is going to be a person who avoids confrontation. Paul here is not a person who is avoiding confrontation. He is very willing, for the sake of the gospel, to, to call people to account. Later in Galatians 6, remember what he's going to say? He's going to say, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so any any sin, if anyone's caught in that, you who are spiritual, what? Ignore it? No. Harm him? No. Restore him. So what this means, if, if these types of relationships are going to exist within the body of Christ, what it means is as we are made aware of the failings of one another, as we are made aware of the struggles that we're going through, we're, we're willing to talk about them. Say, hey, you know what, I, I see that this is going on in your life. I, 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 don't, uh, I, I don't know everything, but I see this. Can, can I help you in this? Can I come alongside you? Can I love you through this? 
And I'll, again, just be very honest in terms of pastoral ministry, in terms of my relationships with other people. I, I don't want people to be upset at me, which I don't think is in and of itself sinful, right? I don't want people to be upset at me. I don't want to offend others. And so I can have a temptation to not be completely honest and talk with people about hard things. In fact, sometimes when I'm in a situation with someone, my my goal can be, how can I make this person happy with me? How can I diffuse a, a situation in which there is there, there are things building up, and it's not wrong to want to diffuse a situation. I mean, you don't want to poke people with a stick. Hey, I'm confronting because I want to please God. No. But at the same time, if, if my ultimate goal becomes, hey, how do I just brush past this? That's not, that's not a goal that's going to bring God glory. Instead, my ultimate aim must be, okay, how in this situation can I lovingly come alongside someone with the gospel and call us both to pursue the glory of God? It's wise, it's wise to not confront someone in a harsh way. And it's wise to say, look, if I'm in a relationship with someone, and let's say that there are like 80 things wrong with me and uh, 60 things wrong with them, that we're not going to deal with all of those things all at one time. It's wise to say, hey, we're in a relationship together, and we're going to love each other, love's going to cover a multitude of sins. But brothers and sisters, I can tell you that I move very quickly from wisdom to sin, Wisdom says I'm going to be careful in how I address some issues that we need to have an open conversation on. Sin says I'm just not going to deal with them because I I want them to be happy with me. See the difference there? We move from wisdom to sin very quickly as people pleasers. A fifth characteristic, they flatter people. They flatter people. What is flattery? Psalm 5, 9 says that... Uh, those who are sinful, their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Romans sixteen eighteen says, it's talking about people who don't serve Jesus. It says they deceive the hearts of the naive with, with flattery, smooth talk and flattery. What is flattery? Flattery is communication to a person that's, that's designed to make them think that you're thinking good things about them. And so you, you, want to, you want to puff them up. And the reason you're doing that is because you want them to think good things about you as well. You're saying good things. You want them to think well of you. And they want, you want them to say good things about you. And you want to, to manipulate them. We'll talk about manipulation in a moment. You want to get on their good side. And the problem with flattery is it, it, it kills true biblical relationships when this happens. Because we're not being honest in our communication with one another. A flatterer, trying to ingratiate yourself to other people, is not a person who's saying, look, I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to motivate and change this person. Number six, a sixth characteristic, they show partiality. A person who is a people pleaser, who wants the approval of man, is a person who shows partiality. They want to know, okay, who's going to give me the biggest reward? That's the person who's going to get my attention. I love the reward, the glory that comes from other people, and so that's going to affect what I desire to do. It's going to affect uh, how I do it. James chapter 2 talks about partiality that happens in the context of a church, and James says we are to have no part in it. Seventh characteristic, and again, these are overlapping somewhat, but number seven they manipulate and are manipulated by others. Okay. 
A person who desires to please people is someone who can be a great manipulator and a person who's manipulated by other people. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 would say this about his gospel ministry. Listen to this. He talks about the the tough ministry that they had before and then in Philippi and the the suffering they went through. And he says, now you know that we came to you and we declare the gospel of God. Okay, gospel ministry. He's talking to the Thessalonians, people in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. He's saying, this is what we did. We proclaimed the gospel. Now, we didn't come here and flatter you. We didn't come here and uh, seek the approval of man. We didn't come to deceive. He says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. What is manipulation? Manipulation is, is this. I have a person, and I want them to do something. And so I try to get them to do it, not for the glory of God, but to receive benefit from me or to avoid negative consequences from me. So here's a person. I want them to act a certain way. And so instead of saying, look, here's what God wants you to do, and let's pursue the glory of God together, I try to manipulate them to get them to do what I want them to do. Or, I'm manipulated by other people. Here's this, here's this friend, and they're kind of a needy friend. I mean that in a nice way, but you know who I'm talking about. In your life, there's this, this person, and they, and they lay this guilt trip on you. So, well, I guess if you, if you don't love me, that's fine. I, I'll, I don't have any friends, but maybe someday someone will love me. Uh, but if you don't want to come to my party or do this thing with me this weekend, whatever, I, I understand. And so, oh, man, I feel so bad about that. And so I, what, I want to please them. I'm manipulated by them. Now, is it wrong to, to sacrificially care for our friends? Of course not. We, we want to lay down our lives for others. But here's, here's the problem. When I'm motivated to do what I do because I fear displeasing others or I want the reward that they offer, that's when I become a people pleaser and I'm not pursuing the glory of God. Far better for me to say, look, um, this person wants me to do this, but, but this weekend, I, I really believe that I, I need to do this other thing. I, I know they want me to do this. I know that their feelings are going to be hurt. I don't want to hurt their feelings, but I believe that God would have me do something else this weekend. I, maybe I haven't seen my family. I need to spend some time with my family. Maybe there's a, a person in the church who needs me to go out and, and, and help them with something. And, you know, I don't want to hurt, hurt this person's feelings. I don't want them to suffer the consequences, but you know what? The best thing for me to be obedient to God is, is to not be manipulated by this person. So there's, there's a huge caution here, right? Parents, we are, we are really good at, manipula- at manipulating, right? Look, son, um, sure, I've sacrificed my life working hard for you. But if, if you want to go hang out with your friends, that's what I want to. Oh, you want to hang out with me? Cool. You know? We're, we, we can manipulate. But that's, that's not how a person who wants to please God thinks and acts. Look, I, I want God to be glorified. And if you're not going to do what you're going to do in order to glorify God, I, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do what is going to bring glory and honor to God. And furthermore, I want to be a person who does what I do because I want to glorify God, not because I'm afraid about what you're going to do to me. 
And so sometimes that means just having some very open conversations with our, our family, with our friends, saying, you know what, this is what you said, and I know I hurt your feelings. I want good things for you. I want to lay down my life for you, but I don't think this is the best thing for you, and I don't think this is the best thing for me to do, okay? Let's, let's honor God together because I love you, and I'm going to lay down my life for you. Just maybe not the way you want me to sometimes. A lot easier for me to say than, than to do, right? Number nine, I'm sorry, number eight, they, they seek validation. People who are people pleasers are often overachievers. They want other people to, to look at them and say, that person's got it together. That person's the best at this. This person's the best at that. They, they want validation. Romans 8 tells us our confidence is, is ultimately in, in Christ, not in what we accomplish. It's, it's in Christ that we're confident of our salvation. Number nine, they overreact to criticism. A person who's a people pleaser, you say something critical to them. If you're a people pleaser and someone says something critical to you, it just crushes you. Why? Because you so crave the glory that others can give you. I so crave the glory that others can give me. Instead of a willingness to seek growth from loving confrontation, we resist it. It it hurts us because it hurts our pride. Acts chapter 18, Apollos is, is confronted by Priscilla and Aquila, and he responds in a beautiful way to their critique, and he becomes a powerful force for the gospel because he wants to what? Please God, not man. Number 10, a people pleaser fears rejection. They fear rejection. John chapter 9, the parents of the man born blind fear being kicked out of the synagogue, and so they won't confess Christ. They want to please the Pharisees. It affects many of us in our, our parenting or in our friendships. I don't want my kids to reject me. I don't want that, that group to reject me. Peter, in Galatians 2, he's, he's nervous about being kicked out of the cool kid club. And so he, he pulls back. He withdraws from eating with the Gentiles. He fears rejection. And then lastly, lastly, that they judge others harshly. They judge others harshly. A, a people pleaser, you say, why would they do that? A people pleaser wants to look good. And because a people pleaser wants to look good, they need to make other people look bad. So one of the ways that people pleasing manifests itself is in judging others. Jesus is talking to the crowds and the disciples, and he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, they, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They want to look good, and they want others, to, so they need others to look bad. And so they got so people who are people pleasers gossip, they're judgmental, they're critical. That, that's not who God would call us to be. All of these things undermine the gospel ministry. The gospel comes from God, and so as as gospel proclaimers, we're to be pleasing God. And all of these things are manifestations of a failure to do that. So, what are the characteristics of someone who desires to please God? What are the characteristics of someone who desires to please God? Number one, again, as we think about motivation, number one, they pursue holiness. They pursue holiness. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In Ephesians and Colossians, Paul, as he's talking to servants, says, Look, your motivation needs not to be a people pleaser. Don't, don't serve people out of, out of um, the desire to look good but do it from the heart. In other words, the person who is going to be a person who pleases God asks the question, as I do this, am I pursuing 
holiness. I'm a person who's responded to the gospel of God. I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ by God's grace, and now I have a desire to walk in obedience to him. I want to be a person who brings honor to his name. I want to grow in my devotion to his glory, and so that's going to affect what I do. My motivation isn't ultimately, are other people going to think that I look good? Are other people going to think that I'm right with God? But ultimately, my my desire is, is this what pleases God? Is this what brings glory to his name? Am I growing in that? Brothers and sisters, this is hard. But it's about our our ultimate motivation, about where our heart is. Are we asking ourselves the hard questions about why we're doing the things that we're doing as we pursue holiness? It's a good question for us to ask ourselves collectively as a a church, as as a body of Christ. It's an existential question. Who are we as a church? Our goal is to be a church that helps people grow in holiness. And our temptation sometimes, I think, can be to be a place where a person can come in and say, look, I have no desire to grow in holiness. I have no desire to be in a relationship with God, but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable here. It's an existential question. Are, are we going to be a church that says, look, this is, this is a place where a person can come and find grace and can find mercy and can find love and can find acceptance, but at the same time, or the way in which we do that is, is by pursuing God and we're finding our, our satisfaction, our joy in him. That's what we're calling one another to do. Or are we going to be a church that a person can come and say, look, I have no desire to know God. I have no desire to be in a relationship with God, but I feel pretty good here. It doesn't mean we become judgmental. It doesn't mean we become harsh. It doesn't mean we become legalistic, but it means that a person who doesn't desire to be in a relationship with God, a person who doesn't desire to be in a relationship with God, isn't going to be happy here. It doesn't mean that only perfect people are going to be happy here. It means that a person who says, look, I'm broken, I am hurting, I am mourning my sin, I'm I'm sad, I haven't been who I need to be, that person is going to find God's grace. But a person who says, look, I want to run away from God, I don't want to have any relationship with God, that person isn't going to find peace, I believe, in the gospel until God sovereignly works in their heart. Another characteristic of of a person who wants to please God, they love Scripture. They love Scripture. This person comes to God's word like the psalmist in Psalm 119. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. So in other words, it's not not about the rewards, the glory that people can offer. I, I want you. I want to be obedient to you. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That's a person who wants to please God. Another characteristic, number three, they, they suffer shame for the sake of Christ. And instead of saying, I'm afraid of what people are going to do to me, I'm afraid of how my boss is going to act if I try to pursue righteousness in this situation, I'm afraid of what my cousin is going to say if I share the gospel with her. Instead, they say, look, I'm, I'm willing to suffer shame for the sake of Christ. Uh, the apostles in Acts chapter 5, Peter and John leave the presence of the council. They've, they've just been... Uh, rebuked 
And it says they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Brothers and sisters, if we desire, if we desire to walk in obedience to God and please him and not man, we are going to suffer shame for the sake of Christ, his name. Number four, they yearn for heaven. They yearned for heaven. Titus chapter 2 says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The person who is passionate about pleasing God says, Okay, I'm just acknowledging, I'm, I'm accepting the fact that right now I'm not going to make people happy. At times I'm going to suffer shame. I'm, I may receive some glory from men. I may receive some consequences. But at the same time, all that stuff is, is temporary. I, I am right now investing in eternity. That's the characteristic of a person who pleases God. That's the investment strategy of a person who wants to please God. A fifth characteristic, they direct praise to God and not themselves. They direct praise to God and not themselves. A person who's a people pleaser wants other people to look at them and say, my, how fantastic you are. My, how kind you are. My, how smart you are. How fast, how whatever. What a great job you've done. The person who wants to please God, understands that whenever people say nice things about us, we we direct the praise to God. We echo what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, look, what do I have that I did not receive? Everything is from God and for God. We direct the praise to God and not ourselves if we want to please him. A sixth characteristic, they aim to lead a quiet life. A person who desires to please God is not out for the accolades of man, the the fame, the glory, the credit for everything. They aim to lead a quiet life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, he says, aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. A person who is all about success and, and glory and, and accolades is a person who is forgetting the, the, the passion of the gospel to proclaim and exalt the name of Jesus. If we're about the, the press clippings and about the, the success even in, in small worlds that we live in, we say, no, 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 my, my goal is to lead a quiet life in such a way that I'm not dishonoring the gospel and I'm lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. I want to walk properly, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, before outsiders. I don't want to be dependent on anyone. I want to do the work in such a way that I'm providing and I'm proclaiming the gospel. And then finally, number seven, a God-pleaser considers others more important than him or herself. They consider others more important than themselves. Romans 12, 3 By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Later in Galatians uh, Galatians 6, 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself, Paul tells us. I cannot, I cannot please God if my aim in life is to please others. You see, these two things, pleasing people and pleasing God, these these can't both be our ultimate aim. 
Pleasing people is impossible, and it distracts us from our ultimate goal of pleasing God in all things. It distracts us from, from asking ourselves a hard question about our, our heart motivations and about the, are we pursuing the glory of God. Verses 11 and 12 that we're going to get to next week are going to tell us, look, the gospel is from God. The source is God. And that affects our, our methodology and it affects our motivation. If I live in such a way that I'm seeking the approval of people, it undermines the truth of that very gospel that I, I claim to be proclaiming. This gospel message that, that, that tells me I'm nothing, Jesus Christ is everything, and I'm trusting in him and him alone. I need no other glory from other people. I don't need rewards from other people. I have Jesus, and he is my all-sufficient Savior. Father, we pray that that truth would be lived out in our lives this week, that you would search our hearts and, and change our motivation from the desire to please people and fill us with the desire to please and exalt you through our faith in your Son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.